the hidden tree. I'm submitting this word on the hidden tree today as it's being the tree of life that's spoken of in the Garden of Eden. In the story of creation, the Bible says there were two trees in the midst of the Garden of Eden. They were the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Genesis 2 verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now in the midst does not necessarily mean in the middle. The word midst, which is a difficult word to pronounce, it's in the Hebrew, T-A-E-W-K, talk. It's mostly translated as midst, rarely translated as middle. In fact, the score is 209 times midst and seven times middle. So if I told somebody that I saw them in the midst of the crowd, it wouldn't mean that they were in the very centre and everybody was around them. So we're not talking about two trees standing side by side on grand display in the centre of the garden. They're there. However, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the tree that was featured and showcased in the story. It's the one we talk about. It was the tree that God told Adam not to eat from. And it was the tree that became their literal downfall through disobedience. Now let's have a look at the spiritual significance of trees. These were real trees, but there's an enormous amount of spiritual significance in them. A tree is part of the order of living creation, and it's rooted in part of the non-living order of creation, the earth, the ground. Adam was created out of the earth, and the word Adama means the ground or the earth. And that's where we get the name Adam. It speaks of the ground or the earth. So what I'm leading to here is that the spiritual significance of the two spiritual trees, which is what we're getting at today, is that both the trees are rooted in the earth, in Adam, in humanity. The trees are rooted in us, spiritually. And both these trees declare the powerful symbolism of something which has life and bears fruit and is rooted in the earth or the Adama, the Adam of our humanity. We have to deal with that tree of knowledge of good and evil rooted in our lives, as Adam and Eve have to do. Now we're going to look at this commandment that God gave them about the tree and the consequence of their disobedience. In Genesis 2 verse 16, and the Lord God gave the man an order, saying, You may freely take of the fruit of every tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not take, for on the day when you take of it, death will certainly come to you. And then in Genesis 3, verse 4, we see the temptation and the fall. The serpent says to Eve, Death will not come to you. For God sees that on the day when you take of its fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be as God, having knowledge of good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and gave it to her husband and their eyes were open and they were conscious that they had no clothing and they made themselves coats of leaves stitched together. There's the fig leaves. So Adam and Eve were the first of human creation to be tempted by darkness to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were the first to experience the tragic downfall of disobedience and sin. Now all of humanity is tempted by darkness to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it's, been, it's rooted in us. And we've all eaten and we've all fallen. Not just because of Adam falling, but as well as Adam falling. In Romans 3 verse 23 it says, All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. It was just that Adam happened to be there first. And of course, if it would have been us, we would have been there first. They had a conscience before they were tempted. They knew right from wrong because they were told not to do something. And there was something working. There's something that works in humanity because of the way we have this sense of I'm me. When we're told not to do something, well, that's a challenge. It makes me want to do it. That's like the law of sin and death. But they didn't really know that. They had no experience of disobedience until they were tempted. But they had a conscience beforehand. But the temptation when it came was too great for their untested human nature to resist. Human nature just doesn't cope with temptation very well. There's one exception, of course, and that's Jesus, who is tempted in every way, just as we are, being human. But he did not ever miss the mark or fall into disobedience. Now, why? Is that being superhuman? What he had was something beautiful. He had a relationship of perfect integrity and harmony and unconditional love with his father. Now, he had that. He was in alignment with his father's heart, which means righteous, upright. So he didn't sin, and so he did not fall. What did he have that Adam didn't have? Well, he was born from above. Not just made in the image of God like Adam, but he had the seed of life, the Holy Spirit of God. From his father, through the Holy Spirit, and he was part of the Godhead in heaven. But when he came to earth, as we spoke this morning, he came from heaven to earth to show the way. So he was born from above. He had the seed of life from his father through the Holy Spirit. And so he was also born into his mother Mary's humanity. All right, now Adam didn't have that experience. He was created 
out of the earth and he was made in the image of God. But here we have very God and very man coming in a very special way to show us the way because what happened to Jesus is the way we get born into God, if you like. Adam's experience is quite different. We're not just created out of dust. We get born into the life of humanity. But we get born into the experience of Adam and Eve because we're human. Now in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, it says, you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, of the word, the logos of God, the seed from above. But now Adam didn't have that. Nobody from Adam right through to Jesus had that being born from above of the seed. See what I'm you hearing what I'm saying? I can't go too deeply into this, but there it is. They're the metaphysical facts of humanity in Adam, his experience of arriving on the planet and our experience, two different experiences. And we'll come to this later on when we start talking about our response to what I call here the life of Jesus in us, the tree of life. But let's stick with the tree of knowledge for a moment. Through their disobedience, Adam and Eve broke relationship with God from them to God. They didn't know what it meant to have a broken relationship with God. They walked and talked with God. But they broke it. But it was never broken from God to man. There was unconditional love. That's what they lived in. They didn't have to earn anything, they were loved. Then they disobeyed, betrayed God in that sense. They broke the relationship, but God didn't. God said, well, I knew that was going to happen and I'm going to be there covering you with mercy and forgiveness. Don't worry about those fig leaves. I'm going to kill an animal and put the, the, uh, the coat of the, probably the lamb or whatever it was, the ram that was slain, and I'll cover your sins. It's all deeply, significantly spiritual, this experience of the tree and the disobedience and the fall. So, God has never broken his unconditional love to Adam or to humanity. He loves every single person. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. They were the ones who broke the harmony and the openness and the freedom and their trusting friendship with God. They broke it. They were told by the serpent that when they ate the fruit, they would not die. And here they were, having eaten running away, hiding, in shame, but they're still alive. So what did you will surely die mean? Well, there was going to be a spiritual death and a physical death, two deaths. We've talked about the spiritual death, breaking relationship, and they finally did die. In the New Testament, there are two words for life. They are bios, which means biological life, and zoe, which means godly life or spiritual life. Now, when they sinned against God and their own conscience, something triggered an inner 
emotional and spiritual mess inside of them. They'd never had that experience before. What's gone wrong when it happened in their minds? Their eyes were open for them to see that they were unclothed, exposed for who they were. And they felt bad about themselves. They tried to cover themselves with leaves. And a life of covering up began for humanity. That's part of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, their relationship with God had been one of unconditional love, but now everything became conditional. For them, it was all conditional. And that's what it's like with us as human beings. There's a new mindset of what good means and what evil means. And we differ on our opinions. They had died spiritually by cutting themselves off in mind and heart from the life of God, who is the source of all forms of life on the earth. And they retreated into this independent experience of their own separated self-life. I'm working out what's good for me. They'd ceased to consciously make the life of God and his goodness central in their minds and hearts. And they became confused as to the meaning of life itself. Life from that moment on was now perceived as belonging to oneself. It's mine. You even watch little kiddies and they're two. It's mine. So each person makes a conscious choice whether or not to share the personal rights of their life, mine, with God or with anyone else. That's humanity. So it becomes the beginning of conditional relationships humanity for humanity instead of unconditional love, which was the, way, the perfect way for it to work. It became the mission of darkness then to destroy godly covenant relationships between people and God and also with one another. Why am I using the word covenant? Well, a covenant is where you allow certain other people to share your own personal rights to yourself as a human being and where people think of themselves as belonging to another person, as in marriage. Now, that's a big deal. Can't you see darkness wanting to wreck that one? And having done it quite successfully. We all live with the relational consequences of the fruit of that first act of disobedience to this time. There are so many ramifications. And the Bible describes the plight of people living in this state of spiritual death. That's what it means to die. Cut off from the source of life in your head. It's not life. Not the life you're meant to have. It's the wrong tree. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God without the knowledge of God because of the blindness of their heart. That's what cuts people off, the blindness. And that's the work of the devil and darkness. So this is speaking about people who have become, in a very colloquial terms, self-conscious rather than God-conscious. And it's really that simple. But it's, when I say simple, I don't mean easy. All those things are the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Adam and Eve's minds had become alienated from the life of God. Yet, they were nonetheless still being impacted by the life of God because he still loved them like he does every person on the planet because they've been created in his image to be his children like everybody was created he wanted a big family and Adam and Eve were the beginning and, and in the beginning things didn't go so well so he impacted their lives so that his goodness and his mercy and his blessings still came upon them and it could still be reflected through them to one another people can still be kind and loving if they choose to. It hasn't all disappeared. I'm just saying that there's a trigger there that makes things get into a terrible wobble if we get too much of the me thing demanding its own rights. And even though unconditional love became an uncommon thing for us, it always remained in God's heart towards us. Great is his faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. You need to know that. Otherwise, you'll disqualify yourself. Make a big oops there. And hide because of shame and guilt like Adam did. He says, come on out, Adam. You don't have to hide. I'll cover you. God's got a remedy for this tree of knowledge. But we need to know it's around. Very much around. Very much around. And there's actually nothing wrong with the knowledge of good and evil. There's nothing wrong with that. Knowledge blesses mankind in a myriad of ways. What would we do without knowledge? Scientific knowledge, medical, biological, whatever kind of knowledge, literary, creative knowledge. And it is powerfully productive and helpful in our lives. We've come a long way with some great knowledge in our lives. And the problem arises, not with having knowledge, the problem arises when we contend with the fierce ownership of our individual rights of the knowledge of what we believe is good for us. And we use knowledge, we weaponise knowledge to basically make another person have to bow to our superior knowledge in whatever field it might be. The judging of what is good in another person is the wrong use of your perceived idea of what's going on in that life. And you could be wrong, but emotionally you feel you're absolutely right. You know? Darkness sows suspicion and mistrust into our judgment of what is good and what is bad. What is good is now judged on the basis of what is good for me. No matter how it seems to someone else. And what is bad is judged by what is bad the way I see it, no matter whether it seems good to someone else. That's why we have tribalism in our society and 36,000 denominations in our Protestant church ecclesiology. The closer a thing comes to what we like or want to happen for ourselves, the more it is good. And whatever prevents us from having that thing is bad. And that is why we can make such lopsided and discriminatory judgments against God, even. God, you got it wrong. You know what I wanted. We even agreed together that that's what 
<laughs> you want it. Mm, I know. Didn't mean you were right. Against God and against one another. That's life. And this is how humanity is tempted to live, in its perception of what is objectively good and bad. We can't get it objectively right. It's so subjective. It's based on what we think. Oh, there's got to be some hope somewhere, though, doesn't <laughs> Our eyes have been opened to see that we must defend or assert our exposed now and vulnerable selves. And that's what you see in life. You see the polarisation in politics, in corporate life, in church life, in everything. We live in a world of wrongly judging ourselves and one another. Now, this has always been going on. It's interesting that in Daniel chapter 12, it says, in the, in the last days, knowledge will increase. You think, well, that'll be good. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't think he ever envisioned what social media and the internet would <laughs> have done to a couple of generations of people who now have gone mad with knowledge and uh, emotional judgments from one to another. Now, the Bible does say to us in Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of that, it says that we can grow and mature to the point where we can discern what is good and what is evil. We can discern it. We can, we can have the Holy Spirit show us what is good and what is evil. And it is a, it is a process. And that is something that... Uh, Paul spoke to the Hebrew church about it. He said, by now you should be teaching other people. But let's go back and have a look at what you should be seeing as being right and being wrong. Jesus was tempted, as we are, in all things. But he had such a, a maturity of, of understanding of the heart of his father and the mind of his father that he was able to call things out that were, that were bad. It wasn't just him saying, well, I'm emotionally, I feel good about this and I feel bad about what you're doing. No, it was out of the love of the Father that was flowing through him that he saw that what the Pharisees were doing was bad. It was against what his Father wanted. So he had the maturity to discern good and evil. And God wants us to be able to have that. And we can do that today. I mean, when I hear certain things on the news, I don't have to pray fervently to God to ask, is this a good thing, Lord? Teaching primary kids transgender, critical gender theory? Is that good, Lord? And I wait, I hope it's not good because I don't like No, God says, it's not good, Paul. Oh, hallelujah, that's not good. Harmful things are dressed up to look virtuous. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Looks, maybe looks pleasant to the eyes for certain people, or whatever. That's the lie. That's why Adam and Eve judged that the fruit of the tree of knowledge was good for them. This is what we want. Look what it's going to give us. We're going to get this wisdom. We'll know. Good and evil, the way God does, will be like God. It was sold to them as being of beautiful appearance, good to taste and pleasing to the senses, so virtuous, and it was the most harmful thing they could have had. 
and it was able to bestow special knowledge and wisdom to them. So mankind at that moment, when they made that fateful mistake, began to prize, to look at those things and praise them and prize them. And they judged God's advice to them. Don't eat of that tree. They have that bad advice. And there's their first mistake of good and evil. They got it wrong. They believed the lie that what they now thought was good for them was being cheated of them by God himself. Can you see how confusing this tree is? What it's doing to the minds of people today. And the more there's, there's so many opinions and emotionally driven opinions around, the more we have to realise the, the harm that this tree can do. And this, the outwardly self-gratifying life became more important than the inwardly fulfilling and satisfying life of trusting relationship, first with God and then with others. In fact, Adam and Eve began squabbling at their first domestic spat. After this, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the devil. And There's always somebody to blame. The fruit of this tree has deeply affected the way people and especially in affluent societies and cultures, live out their lives. Because if it looks great, if it's beautiful, and if it, if it smacks of um, success and tremendous reputation and um, alluring, yeah, it can, be, it can promise you justice. It's good. That fruit was not only on splendid display for Adam and Eve to see and tantalisingly forbidden to eat, but sitting amongst its branches was a cunning, deceitful serpent. Nothing has changed regarding this tree. And we're constantly being confronted by this reality. And the fruit of this tree has deeply affected the way People live, even in Christianity, there's a tendency to conform to competitive, performance-oriented success culture that the world says this is good, rather than the inner transformational power of the exchanged life of Jesus. The outward display orientation has its source in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The powerful inner reality of faith and love has its source in the tree of life. It seems that the Western culture finds the outward display is irresistible. But I do believe God is speaking to us today to lead us in the way. Jesus came from heaven to earth to show the way to the tree of life. We're just getting to that now. It seems like what we see in our experience is that when there's persecution or a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit, then people's hearts change and they start looking for God and become God-conscious instead of self-conscious. So God uses things to get people to turn from one tree to the other. But there is a better way to do it. don't have to wait for that. <laughs> now, we want to talk about the hidden way of the tree of life. You notice when we spoke about the tree in the, in the original scriptures, it was mentioned, tree of life, 
but it wasn't described. It was just there. The tree of life was somehow strangely out of sight and out of mind, or both. Throughout the whole time of Adam and Eve and God and the serpent and their conversations in the garden, they weren't given any commandment concerning the tree of life. They weren't told not to eat of it. God didn't even mention it. Except at the very end, after they'd fallen. So humanity was obviously destined to eat of the tree of life in due course, and there was access to it, even back then. But that wasn't the time. It wasn't God's appointed time for the tree of life to be eaten from. And in fact, only after eating of the tree of knowledge was the way to the tree of life blocked. It was open access, but it wasn't there, obviously, on big display with, come and hear, come on over and eat of the tree of life. No. The servant was in the other tree saying, hey, come over here. This looks great. This is what you really want. Oh, yes, it is, actually. That was the problem. But after they ate of the tree of knowledge, the way to the tree of life was blocked. God did not let Adam and Eve or any other human being have access to the tree of life. He guarded the way to it with cherubim, angels and a flaming sword. He didn't put angels around the tree of life, shining as if to say, oh, look, that tree of life over there, that's got angels all around it guarding it. No, he blocked, he put angels with the sword blocking the pathway to the tree of life. So it was hidden. Nobody could find it. Genesis 3.24, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That's what he guarded. That's what got lost. Well, <laughs> didn't get lost, it got hidden. The word guard means, in, in Hebrew, sabor means to preserve and reserve for an appointed time. So that way was guarded. Someone came to show the way. That there was an appointed time for mankind to be shown the way of access to the tree of life. But for the time being it was forbidden and the way was hidden. It was hidden even throughout the Old Testament. It was there, but Jesus was there, but hidden. They couldn't find him. Even though the prophet spoke about this person, this servant, that suffered, it was hidden. But Jesus, who is the tree of life, that's what I'm submitting to you today, who is also rooted in Adam, the earth, as a human being, he is from Adam. It's in his lineage for sure. But he contained eternal life and he bore the fruit of the tree of life. He landed with it. The fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. He came equipped. He was born from above. The life and power of God was hidden as a hidden tree of life, not only in the garden, but within the humble humanity of Jesus. He came as the tree of life. And people still couldn't see him, still couldn't find the tree. Let me read it to you from Isaiah 53, verse 1. This is about Jesus. This is the chapter that speaks about the suffering servant. 
Who has believed our message? And to whom has the Lord revealed his power? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There's your humble little tree of life. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. There's your tree of life. It's hidden and it's hidden in you. And it doesn't have to come with a big display or great appearance or loud words or clanging symbols. It doesn't. It is just there waiting to live out. And I believe that's where God wants the church to go. Jesus did not try to attract people to himself or to put his power on display to impress people. He never did. He didn't say, hey, over here, I'm going to do miracles today. He'd do the miracles and they'd say, oh, man, what a wonderful miracle. Don't, don't tell him people about it. What? This is advertising. You don't understand how things work, Jesus. Now, this is a new kind of behaviour from someone of such power and authority. And even his disciples wanted him to display his kingdom authority. And they wanted to call the fire of judgment down on people who resisted and opposed him. You read that in Luke chapter 9. Let's judge them. I mean, look at the history of the church. Let's get rid of them. Let's judge them. Call down the judgment. These disciples of Jesus, and we can't blame them, they'd always been attracted to and influenced by the tree of knowledge. There was no such thing as the tree of life for them. But Jesus came as the tree of life, made himself of no reputation to become a servant to humanity. You read that in Philippians 2. They had no understanding of this hidden truth, the hidden tree. Its meaning was mysteriously hidden throughout the Old Testament, as I said, even though it's mentioned quite a few times, but the meaning's hidden. But now it was with them and veiled in his humility like a tender green shoot, like a rooting dry ground, Nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him, despised and rejected. In such stark contrast to much of Christian activity today, that wants to be on display as the agent of God's power and judgment of what is good and evil, by the way. I hope we're getting some of it right. I really do. We know where we're coming from. The Bible doesn't say that knowledge is bad. But it shows how the self-centred use of knowledge differs from the blessing of caring relationships. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 it says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When you say knowledge puffs up, you know what that means? It inflates the ego. <laughs> Look what I know. Love builds up. If there's something that you have that is helpful for somebody else that can help them find the way to the tree of life, that will build up. Anything done in love and faith will build up. Colossians 3, verse 3. And we see how uh, the tree of life is in the ordinariness of our new creation humanity that is joined to the life of Jesus. It doesn't have to look much, it doesn't have to sound much. But if it's there, it will bring life. Colossians 3.3, 3, For you died, and your life 
is hidden with Christ in God. You died. The old part, the Adam part, allows the Jesus part to live. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. This means that we died with Christ and now we live with him. When Jesus went on the cross as a human being, he took us as humanity with him. We now were given access to another tree to live out of. At that point, we had to wait till the Holy Spirit awakened us to it. But that tree was now able to be lived out of instead of just the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we can now live our lives choosing the tree of life over the tree of knowledge. But what's the pathway? The pathway is God's love for us. Total trust in God's unconditional love coming to us. That's the way through the gate to find the tree of life. If you don't start there, you're starting with something from yourself again. It's becoming God conscious and the tree of life is flowing. The life, the fruit of that is flowing through you in unconditional love, taking you just as you are and saying, I'm going to transform you. My love is going to do it. And you know, we trust that he knows what is good for us, even if we don't. Boy, does that switch the two trees. All things are working together for good. No, Lord, no, no. No, no, get behind me, Satan. He says, I know what I'm doing. The inflated ego me is now constantly being invited to simply empty itself of pride and independence and self-importance and emotionally opinionated judgments and to eat of the fullness of the hidden tree of life that's now able to live through us. We ask for and receive his wisdom in things. But I need more knowledge. You might know that you can say, Lord, give me wisdom, your wisdom from above. He says, certainly. And then love can grow and flow. That's the fruit that Jesus spoke of that would spring up out of the ground when he gave his life as a seed to die. He said, unless this seed goes into the ground and dies, it will abide alone. But if it does, goes down and dies, it will bring up much fruit. And that was the tree of life. This enables us to bless God and one another and bring healing and wholeness to a broken world through a life of humble service. You are it. You're the tree of life. Don't worry if you don't know as much as you'd like to know. Ask God for the wisdom of what is worth knowing to be able to release the love and the power, the fruit and the power of God will come through that way to the tree of life and from the tree of life. In Jesus' name, amen.